Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spirit World Center. This is a Q&A episode on Clubhouse, where we've been having some of our most recent episodes. And today we are covering, can you create a ghost and do spirits fall in love? And uh, so these are a couple of really interesting questions. So we will jump into it uh, before uh, jumping into a, uh, a question and answer period at the end, which unfortunately, if you're listening to this on the podcast, you will not get to hear. But uh, check it out. Uh, check us out on Clubhouse. We're having lots of Q&A episodes over there, and uh, you should be able to, uh, to find one. We're doing it uh, almost daily. Well, daily, actually. So I'll see you over there. So jumping in, can you create a ghost? So this is actually a really old topic within the esoteric. And where I really want to start with this is actually a particular case study. And it's called Philip the Ghost. And this occurred in Toronto in the 1970s. And it was a a paranormal researcher who put together a seance group. And what this seance group did was they, instead of trying to make to reach out and make contact with a particular ghost or spirit. Instead, they created a backstory for a spirit. They they created this backstory of this Scottish ghost who was this Scottish lord who died tragically and had this very tragic life. And they started reaching out to him. They started trying to make contact with this being who everyone in the audience, like everyone in the seance, everyone who was sitting, knew that it was made up, right? There was not a single person involved in this seance group who actually thought that this was a legitimate ghost that they were reaching out to. And and so they just went through the seance steps, though, and, and began to reach out and, and want to talk to Philip, the Scottish ghost. And here's the thing. After enough seances it started to answer and in fact they they were putting enough energy towards it that it really got good at answering it started wrapping the table you know creating a a knock on the table and it also started actually causing um causing movement like causing things to move around the seance room in fact one of the uh, one of the participants in the in the uh, in the um, séances even was chased by the table was chased across the room by the table when no one else was around and so it it started to have real real effects and this is actually what we refer to as a tulpa within the uh, within the esoteric and occult lore it is a, a thought form a being who has been created because of the the thoughts the the mental energy put towards it by uh by some humans right in other words it's like there's humans who have a certain amount of consciousness and they can take that consciousness and you know basically almost like take off little bits and they can put it together they can put it all together and that consciousness that you've now constructed right um can have its own self-determination it can have its own free will you've effectively created a new being this is absolutely something that goes very far back in the the literature Uh, another example is um 
there was a uh, a woman I can't remember her name now, but she uh, uh, she was one of the early female adventurers going into the Himalayas, especially into Tibet. And she wrote a, a travel journal, a travelogue while she was there. This was the late, late 1800s. Uh, it wasn't Madame Blavatsky. It was, it was someone else. And uh, she started writing about how she learned this technique from some local lamas. And they taught her how to take her energy, her psychic energy, her thoughts, and to create a, a thought form, to create a being who would be there with her on her journeys as a companion. And so she took this, this, uh, these techniques and she, she started using them. And she wanted to create a being who wouldn't you know, freak her out or creep her out. And so she started to work with a visualization of you know Friar Tuck from uh, from Robin Hood, right? This jovial, happy, drunk friar who hangs out with uh, with Robin Hood and his men. And she uh, she proceeded to really work with visualizing and, and working with this thought form all the time. And it got to the point where she would then be you know interacting with everyone in camp, right? She was camping through the Himalayas. And, uh, and she would um, start to see him as a, a hallucination, an overlay over what she was also seeing. And this continued for some time until it really became persistent. Like it really uh, became a, a waking hallucination that she was having. And, of course, an interesting thing happened. She eventually started to get tired of it. She started not wanting to devote as much time as she had been to this thought form. And at that point, it started to become aggressive. It started to become very, um, very intrusive. And it really started to creep her out. And of course, this is a, a very natural self-preservation technique, right? This thought form is gathering energy uh, from, uh, from her. And when she starts to turn off the valve there, right, it's it's going to want to continue to receive that energy. And so that is exactly what she uh, started to experience. And uh, as the story goes, she uh, made contact with some lamas then who knew how to dispel what she had done. And she went through the, the lengthy process of dispelling a, a, a thought form or a tulpa, as they are called within that context. And so it's certainly uh, something that has been recorded, whether you're talking about this, uh, this example in Tibet or uh, Philip the Ghost. And within certain streams of magic as well, uh, creating a thought form like this is really essential. There is a, a type of magic, a magical practice, that came out of, um, out of Britain in the 1970s. And it's called chaos magic. And it was a lot of, a lot of guys who were tired of the old ceremonial approach to magic, which was very, you know, by the by the book, lots of rules, theoretical. And they, they really were tired of it. They wanted to say, they wanted to see, okay, if we strip this down to its bare form, what is it that is in magic that makes this work? How does it work? Why does it work? 
And do we need all these ceremonial trappings? Like, what is there a key? And of course, what they found was that intention and will are the keys to magic, right? They, everything else is simply an aesthetic or a way to more tightly dial in your will and intention, you know, using symbolism to more fully embody your, uh, your intention and your will. But of course, everything else is, is optional, right? Now, what they found is that a, a very effective means of spirit work that they, they started working with was creating what they called a servitor, a servitor. And a servitor is a, it's kind of what we were discussing before. You take a bit of your consciousness and you, you know, let's say metaphorically or in visualization, you take that consciousness, you, you put it into a ball and you form it into a, a little little fella. And, and then you can give that servitor instructions. You can program it like, a, like an AI, like a, a robot. And you can tell it to go do things for you. Um, I knew one fellow who he worked at a, uh, an occult bookstore. And he would have to bless candles in the same way over and over and over again, right? He'd have to, they, they'd sell these blessed candles and he would have to bless them over and over and over again, doing the same procedure again and again and again. And so what he did is he, he took a, he created a servitor and he, he linked it to this cute little puppet, the, the cute little puppet that he had, right? This little, uh, this little stuffed, um, human-like fellow. And uh, he then gave instructions to that. You know, he imbues it with consciousness, with some of his consciousness. He, you know, he separates it off so that it's its own unique being, but it's conscious. And he then gives it the instructions, okay, well, when I'm putting these candles here, you are going to be doing these steps over and over again. Turns it into like a macro in a spreadsheet, right? Um, and uh, he had good results with that. You know, it, it there was no negative uh, repercussions of not going through all these steps over and over by himself. His macro, his uh, his time-saving device there, his uh, his servitor was doing it for him. And so that, of course, is another another application of this creating of a spiritual entity. And, um, you know, a, a fourth example, and, and a lot of people can probably resonate with this, is um, particularly what can be encountered when it comes to things like sports teams and nation states and all this. It's a thing called an egregore. And an egregore is very much a group thought form. It is, it is a form of thought form. And uh, this term is used in different ways, many different ways by some authors. And so what I'm describing is not all egregores, but one way in which this, uh, this uh, term is applied is when it comes to the group mind of, well, of a group, right? So a group of individuals coming together and there is a group mind that formed, that forms, and this group mind can very much have its own agenda and its own interests, interests that are very much perhaps even 
contrary to the interests of the individuals in that group. And so this is something that uh, that can be. And a big company like a corporation, you can very much make the case that the corporation itself has an egregore. It does its own thing. It has its own corporate, you know, you'd say, well, it has its own corporate ethic or it has its own corporate logic and philosophy. Well, there is that. But at the same time, you can look at it like a gigantic organism that has its own free will. And, and therefore, you know, the... Uh, the decision making is structured in a way where there are um, where there are systems in place, checks and balances, and pressures put in place that are influencing people's decision making within there. It's acting like an organism, and spiritually too. Uh, it's there's a lot of a lot of researchers out there who have thought that uh, companies like that do have their own particular spiritual consciousness that you can interact with even and uh, in fact within within occult groups the the work with an egregore is very essential if you join a magical order let's say you join the uh, hermetic order of the golden dawn or a thelemic uh, temple right that that work standard ceremonial magic they will absolutely uh, encourage the creation of a group thought form. They will have uh, the members, you know, go out and do things together and engage in various activities in order to establish that link, that psychic link amongst everyone in that group so that the, the order itself, the, uh, the uh, entire lodge is thinking together, is interacting in a way that is harmonious as if it is one organism. And of course, this is really good for a lodge if you uh, if you can get it that way. Um, and so, yeah, okay. So that's that's about it that I've got for uh, talking about can you create a ghost. And so before we get to the Q and A portion, uh, let's dive into uh, do spirits fall in love? Uh, so <laughs> first off, the thing to remember is that when you are a spirit, a newly minted spirit, right? So you've just passed away. Uh, you were a human, you've passed on, you're now a spirit, a ghost, right? A, um, you are very much the same person that you were in life. And so therefore, the beings who you loved in life, you are still going to love, all right? So let's just get that out of the way first. Uh, but then, so the question is, can loves change? Can a spirit fall in love? And what about non-human spirits? So, you know, I actually, um, I've come across this a couple of times where uh, people have actually married ghosts. It is a, um, it's a whole, it's a whole thing. It's a, it's, there's, there's articles written on it, on how to do it and such. It's called spiritual marriage. And uh there are people who have encountered a ghost who have uh, usually people with some kind of sensitivity, psychic sensitivity, and um, they create a very special relationship with a, a ghost to the point where they even have intimate relations and they then um, can have a, a wedding. And one way I've seen this done is that they actually bring in a medium to speak for the ghost. And uh, 
and therefore the ghost can literally say I do and it's not the uh, it's not the person marrying them who usually is intuitive right who is saying both parts because that would kind of be um, you know you, you couldn't be marrying the ghost and also be the one who's sensitive and saying oh yes it says I do because that you know it would be you, you look like you're speaking for him so instead you bring in another uh, another clairvoyant another medium who can uh, can speak for the spirits and then they like take the the ring and they put it on the candle uh, as a stand-in for the hand so that's that's certainly a thing that uh, that happens um, now, um, uh, I don't know if it's uh, the one one case that I did see where that happened. Apparently, they did end up getting divorced two years later. So I don't know exactly what that happened in that case. But you can you can actually look more into that one of these particular cases on uh, Vice. They did a a biopic on uh, on her. She's the one who uh, married a pirate ghost, and so. Uh, of course, there, yeah, there's certainly these uh, these possibilities out there, and, um, and you know another uh, another aspect of this is that non-human intelligences, non-human spirits, can become enraptured with a human, interested in a human, and um, of course, you know if you look at enough of uh, fae and spirit of the land type encounters, there absolutely is throughout history this idea of, uh, especially with the fairies, of procreating with the fairies, right? Um, and, and in fact, this can, uh, this can occur as, you know, you're lying in your bedroom at night and you feel a presence come in and then it's, it's uh, much like a kind of a, a succubus type scenario although you might experience much more it might come to you in a dream but there can be a sexual act that occurs and then um, you know you're not going to get physical offspring but then there's a mixing of consciousnesses and you can have spiritual offspring that emerge from that union and oftentimes I question whether a lot of what we see in the alien abduction scenario, especially when they're talking about the creation of hybrid children, uh, might very much be this kind of, might be just a, a different lens placed on this very uh, spiritual type experience. In other words, is it just presenting itself in a way that the person there can understand because they might not be a believer in the fair folk, right? So that is, of course, a, uh, a possibility. And um, yeah, so there's, there's a, a long tradition for a long period of time going back of humans taking on a fairy lover. This is absolutely something that happens. So of course, those types of spirits can also fall in love. And uh, so that's uh, that's something. And then, of course, the one last thing to throw in before we wrap up is that there absolutely are succubus and incubus spirits. Um, and these are spirits who, you know, just as as we feed on certain things, there's spirits who tend to feed on certain specific energies. And those being things such as fear, but also love and sexual energy. And so you can certainly run into spirits who can come into the room in the middle of the night and feed on sexual energies. Some people don't mind. Other people do. If you mind, you know, certainly put up 
protective, uh, protective magic and uh, protective intentions um, that will certainly keep you safe and clear from it. Um, but uh, it's something certainly that's out there. Although that is not so much about love as more about uh, harvesting of sexual energy. So there's that. Uh, so everyone, that was the the opening monologue, um, and uh, that's it for the uh, the podcast. I'm just going to close out the podcast now, and then I'll be with you guys for the for the Q and A questions. So everyone, thank you for uh, attending this podcast episode, and uh, we'll have many more episodes of these clubhouse talks in the future. So until next time, take care, lots of love and light, and bye bye. <laughs>